Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by not Evan Watkins, but two guys that work for him, Matasis, Doug Bowman. How are you? Did Evan slacking. Two pods in a row he's missed. It's crazy. Something, about, it's unlike something him. about having kids or something, but whatever. Indeed, indeed. Well, before we get started here, let's offer our congratulations. Doug got engaged this weekend. Shout out to Doug. You know, shout out I, to Doug. Big shout out. I did for the kickoff of the spring game. Just yeah. All of like, you know, I guess last week or last couple of weeks, I've kind of been throwing shade your way for lack of commitment, not coming down here. But I accept that if that was the excuse, I accept it. I will say like when you did propose, did she ask why you didn't do it at the spring game, given the importance I, of the event? Yeah, I you, I think the folks at Hokie Vision would have liked me to be up on the board there. It could have True. been huge. Yeah. Maybe maybe Blumrick delivers the ring. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it could have been everything. Matei's getting ideas now. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a ton of ideas. I may have to jump the timeline here. <laughs> that would be a heck of an NIL deal. <laughs> his, his eligibility is running out. So. TikTok. Regardless, the spring game happened. We're going to get into it. Well, you know, let's just. <laughs> Let's just get started, I guess, with uh, probably what most people were queuing in on going into the spring game, and that was to see who the superior quarterback is. Uh, Grant Wells and Jason Brown both played the entirety of the first half, which was the long half that wasn't running clock, and you, you had a fair amount of opportunities to see the guys put the ball in the air. Uh, I, I think no doubt from if the only piece of information you could see was the spring game, you'd think that Grant Wells is a lot better than Jason Brown at playing quarterback. Obviously, spring game really just one of 15 practices that they have in the spring. So I want to you know, open up the question to you guys. How much weight are you putting on this, uh, you know, given the uneven teams in the spring game, given the disparity in performance that we saw between the two quarterbacks, and, and given Brent Pry's comments in the press conference that no, he wasn't ready to name a starting quarterback going into fall camp. I think that's the most interesting piece of information that you included at the end, that Brent Pride didn't come out and say, look, we're going to make Grant Wells our guy. And I think that kind of tells you a little bit of what's going on. What For for one, it could be he's trying to hide his hands, hide his card, um, you know, heading into the summer. He wants to see more. But, you know, if that's if that's Grant Wells right there and – you know, we saw it with the long throws to Caleb Smith. He's capable of making the big play, but he's also capable of potentially making mistakes. Uh, you know, he, it looked like he had two interceptions that were, you know, just dropped or, or, you know, could have gone the other way. But I think, you know, there's so much upside with him and they're still waiting to see something. Maybe it's ball security or, you know, those bad decisions that come up in practice that are preventing them from naming him the starter. But I think anyone could tell you, looking at that game, I think he was in a better position with the Maroon team, uh, with the offensive line that was, you know, highly questionable 
on the white team, but given his situation, he made the most of it. He looked like the best quarterback by a mile on the day. But I also wonder what it would have looked like if he had been on the white team, if he didn't have a lot of time to make those plays, if he didn't have Caleb Smith there or Jalen Jones, how would he look? So, you know, there's a lot up for interpretation. I think the separation is real, uh, judging by that one game sample size. And I still expect him to be the starter, given that you see all the struggles around the quarterback position. The running backs didn't get going. There's still a lot of questions about who's going to be, you know, the go-to guys at wide receiver, and especially the offensive line. We were talking about this on the podcast last week. You might need that guy to open up some space over the top with the bigger arm, a guy that can get the ball and make a big play out of nothing, and that seems to be Grant Wells. To touch on a couple things there, I think that the fact that we're even having a conversation right now about this based on the disparity maybe between the two teams leads me to believe that maybe the way to do spring game really is just an offense versus defense thing and you just rotate in the two quarterbacks with the guys who are the clear first team guys because, you know, on the offensive line, chemistry matters and you're as strong as your weakest link, as we mentioned with the questions that come to the depth at that position group. And it seemed like Jason Brown was under duress all day. Part of me wishes, and I, I said this in the press box at the time as I was obnoxiously musing out loud, they should just switch quarterbacks at the end of the first quarter so we can see how much of this is really Jason Brown struggling, how much of this is receivers dropping balls, how much of this is the fact that Jason Brown didn't have any time to really do anything. So I, I think that would be the preferable way to go about spring game, at least in a situation where Virginia Tech is right now, which is, you know, you have two guys that, from what we knew, realistically could be the starter and, and probably still could realistically be the starter. I don't think they'd be gaslighting us all spring camp long if, if there's been this much of a disparity. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, like, <laughs> it is really hard to tell anything from that, from from the roster setup. I mean, you've, you focused on the offensive line, but, like, Nigel Simmons is playing, was like the startering maroon defensive end. McCray and Garvitt were starting it on, on one of the defensive end groups. Pinne and Fuga were a defensive tackle duo. Just seemed, seemed really difficult to establish any sort of rhythm or, or, or e- even an evaluation there by mixing it up like that. I'd be interested to hear why he chose that over a much simpler, as Andrew said, the offense defense setup when you can actually work your ones against your ones, your ones against your twos, your ones against your threes and mix, mix the depth chart up and actually get some, um, reliable information. Like Chris Boyd, who I didn't even know was in the roster was the right tackle for across from Silas Janzi. Like there's not, I just don't think there was much that they could take in that as it relates to the quarterback position. I think that tells you like this was not a, they didn't view this as a decisive moment going in. They weren't expecting them to like make a decision based on what happened today. What the 14 other practices had, had led up to this and they, and they weren't going to say like, since Grant Wells clearly looked much better than Jason Brown, that they were going to name him a starter. I think, you know, I think it kind of makes sense to to keep it open if it wasn't clear by, you know, practice 14 
it, I think it makes a lot of sense to leave it open over the summer when the guys are going to be working out. And they're not so far apart that you, you're pretty confident you're probably going to see Jason Brown at some point in 2022. So you can keep keep everybody kind of rowing the same direction a little bit longer into August. I think that makes a lot of sense when when you're just building. I mean, there's no way like from the very start of spring practice, 15 practices later, like the entire offense is in, that, that they feel comfortable across the board with the entire offense. As you get into August, you know, we saw just a boatload of players play in that spring game, rotating in all over the field. I think as you get into August and they shrink kind of the travel roster, so to speak, and you start to, you start to really rep the top five wide receivers in your top seven offensive linemen, I think it becomes a lot more clear and a lot easier to make that decision. So if, if they're still just installing and putting in the basics of the system this spring to the point where the spring game was a, a mismatch and, uh, you know, makes it really difficult. Um, you know, I think that that makes sense to me, at least. I got a couple of questions here where we could go from here. I guess I'll start with this one with, the Virginia Tech fan base's first opportunity to see Grant Wells. Within minutes, you saw a flurry of comparisons on Twitter to one Ryan Willis. And as I continued to watch, I continued to see the similarities in their style. Big arm, gunslinger, trying to get the ball downfield is going to take those risky decisions. And even in the spring game, we saw Grant Wells make some risky decisions. If he is Ryan Willis and say Jason Brown is a more conservative, perhaps lower upside, but less risk option, are you still cool with it being Wells, you know, given all the information we have and given the fact that Wells is positioned to be the quarterback of the future? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think Wells, for all, for all the, you know, disparity about the, the two offensive lines that they had in front of each other, Wells showed a lot of confidence, a lot of pretty fearless throwing the football, very confident throwing the football and showed a little bit more, I thought, with the legs. He's a little faster than Brown. You know, no, nobody's going to call him like turbo speed, but he's, He's he can, he can pick up some yards on the ground. So, you know, I think that's a guy that we talked about this last week. This, that's the kind of quarterback this team needs to kind of maybe elevate their ceiling a little bit, considering what what the skill positions have at this point. You're not really looking for a game manager. And that kind of feels what Jason Brown is mostly in terms of, you know, limiting turnovers and taking a simple completion. I think this team, as it stands right now, needs need somebody who's going to sling it in there and fire it in there and, and try and make some things happen. And um, I mean, Wells, you could clearly tell he's played a lot of college football because he came in and right away was firing the ball down the field. So that part was encouraging. I think the storyline with him throughout next season is, is definitely going to be the decision-making. We saw the interception numbers from Marshall. There's a couple throws in there where you just kind of, shake your head and say he got a little lucky, but um, they'll, they'll obviously want to get that cleaned up. And, and maybe that becomes the decisive 
decision point in terms of Jason Brown or Wells. Maybe they just go back to the thing that football coaches always value, and that's ball security. But um, at, at, at this point, it looks like Wells kind of has that higher ceiling, that ability to, to, to give Tech a, a better chance to make some big plays um, with his arm. And then I think you saw a little bit of the read option game. I know they, it was as vanilla as you could get, so take it. But it, I mean, that still looks like it's going to be a, a, a decent part of the offense. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see how much, I mean, especially Grant Wells was running the ball. Mate, did you know that the speed was moderately impressive? I didn't think it would be that much of a part of the offense. I actually thought that all four quarterbacks, or I guess five, but four of the five quarterbacks that played on Saturday showed a bit of ability in the ground game. And it almost looked like they were trying to almost hold the quarterbacks back from scrambling so much. Um, especially Jason Brown, who seemed like he could run on any given play, given his offensive line that we've harped on for this entire podcast so far. But yeah, I was, I was surprised by, by his wiggle. I mean, if, if you look at, um, his career numbers, he's not really known as a rusher. He had one year where he had 54 attempts for 174 yards. He's more of a guy that you could put on the goal line and he can sneak it in, but. I was surprised by his athleticism. I was also surprised that, you know, given how vanilla the game was, it didn't look like, you know, this was going to be this jumbo formation offense where Grant Wells is under center and handing the ball off or playing read option. He was in the shotgun, so he was he was able to read the defense and kind of move with his legs a bit more. So um, I was surprised by his ability there. And just going back to Doug's point on, on, you know, kind of this quarterback battle. I think when you look at the offense in general, I mean, we saw pretty much every facet of the roster on Saturday. When you're looking at that quarterback position, and especially knowing that it's Brent Price kind of honeymoon period, year one, you got to go with the guy with the higher upside at quarterback. And I think that it has to be Grant Wells. And for that matter, go with the guys with more upside at running back, wide receiver, all your skill positions like the most consistency you really need right now is from the offensive line. And, you know, it's a shame we didn't really get to see Jason Brown put on a show or really show off his arm too much. You know, he missed a couple throws, had a couple of checkdowns, and you can see that he was reading the defense at least. But in terms of Grant Wells, and I know the Ryan Willis comparisons are there if you really just break it down into its simplest terms, but Grant Wells is a gunslinger. He has the big arm. He will make mistakes, but he has that upside that if you rely on this coaching staff that you invested so much money into that I think once he gets that system, you know, beyond the 14, 15 practices that they've had in the spring, I really think you can, you know, tailor make him into what you want this offense to revolve around. I think the one thing we learned this spring about the quarterback position at the least, you know, maybe Brown comes together in August and, and, and wins the starting job, but I think at the least Tech probably solved their depth problem or is comfortable. I mean, last 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 season it was Burmeister and that was it. Like he, he there was no other option, and that's why he was so banged up the whole year. I think at at the least, whether it's Wells or Brown as a starter, you, you you'll feel like the season doesn't hinge on the how healthy the starting quarterback is. There's there's a little more flexibility, at least, I feel. You know, we talked about that battle for third-string quarterback. Those guys, Bullock and Farrell, they both look 
capable, you know, at, at least at least as guys that you could throw out there. Certainly look more like Justin Fuente prototypes, if you will, for, for that offense. Obviously, not surprising as Fuente and his staff were the guys that recruited them. I'm curious to see, do both of those players, I mean, Farrell, you would expect to stick around. Will Bullock stick around? Will he transfer after the spring? Maybe looking for greener pastures, an opportunity to play earlier because, I mean, if Wells is the starter with what, guys, does he have three years of eligibility left, including this one? That could be something that's pretty dissuading to Taj Bullock if, if he wants to stick around at Virginia Tech and wait or not. You just don't see quarterbacks do that very often anymore. He should at least stick it out for the fall and see what Wells does. Um, there's a chance Wells is the starter, but doesn't play well enough throughout the year to be the long-term starter. And the spring is completely, and it's completely wide open again next spring um, for, for Bullock or anybody else. So I think, I think at this point you're, you really don't have that much. I mean, sure they have a boatload of practice film and all that stuff, but um, I think, I think if you're Bullock, you ride it out with Farrell, battle it out with Farrell this into August. Um, I, I still like if if they're if they're close at all, you're redshirt and Farrell still, and, and, and keeping Bullock as your number three guy, and, and then see what happens with Wells. And I, I think obviously if Wells plays pretty well and is like clearly the entrenched starter there, then sure you look you look you look elsewhere. Um, but I, I don't think. We or they have enough information on just how much of a grasp um, Wells is going to have on the on the starting quarterback position in in the fall. I mean, and then if it's Brown, it's just wide open from the start, and it's game on from there. So, um, but I thought I did think they looked they looked pretty good. They looked comfortable and um, certainly let their athleticism and, and kind of playmaking ability go I, I i thought it was very helpful that they were live and fully tackled to the ground instead of instead of the, t- the two hand touches and the and the quick whistles on brown and wells so um i think they're moving right along I, but like it, it 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 was also very clear why wells and brown had clearly separated themselves from those two yeah just looking at the game and like Bullock looked really, he had that long run, which is probably his highlight play. And then every time he threw it, you could see the arm strength, you could see the form, but it was like five feet to the left, five feet to the right. And you're just like, if you could clean that up, I see it. I see the, you know, the potential for you. Um, and, and obviously he's still a young prospect that's learning his second system in as many years. Uh, Farrell, you know, with his wiggle ability, uh, you know, when he got into the end zone and just as it's a shame he only threw one pass. But I mean, he he just looks like an athlete out there, you know, and uh, it, it looked like he was reading the offense correctly. Every time he got the ball, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do, even if it was a run play. And I think they've seen enough to, to keep him at quarterback. I think that was kind of his test for the spring. Can he do enough to stay at quarterback or is he going to be moved to defensive back? Cause you know, there's way too many numbers at running back, even though he would probably look good there. Um, but yeah, for Bullock, I think 
you know, the big test for him is if he can lock down number three, you never know what the, what the season will bring. Like Doug was mentioning, uh, there's a lot of things that could happen and while unlikely that it's, we'll see Taj Bullock, you know, suit up as a starter at any point. Um, I think it's important for him to kind of grasp the system. If he's, you know, going to look to transfer in the future, you know, bring two different playbooks with you to your next stop, show that you didn't leave at the first sign of adversity that you battled through. You at least won one of the battles, even if it was the third place one. Um, I still think he has a lot of upside and I still think, you know, he kind of fits for the system. You know, we didn't really see it on full display, but I, there's a lot of potential there and he's definitely an intriguing prospect. Bullock and Farrell should both spend off season watching a Walford film, get as prepared as possible for the Terriers because that's the one game on the schedule where you can say like, all right, they're probably, they're probably going to have a decent chance of playing. Um, so, you know, if they're ever, if they're over in their off campus apartment, probably got the Walford Terriers football film up on, up on the big screen. So we talk about one of the biggest question marks of this game being who are going to be those playmakers, those, you know, technique superstars right now. And they need to emerge because there's no clear cuts. The superstar of the spring game was Caleb Smith. He had the two big catches, uh, two touchdowns. One of them, I believe, was a 51-yarder at over 100 yards on the day. And you saw Jalen Jones and uh, Dewan. Do I mean? Dewan, I think, is what they're going with. Yeah, Dewan Lofton. Dewan Lofton uh, had a catch as well. Ultimately, he was the guy that was the offensive MVP uh, of spring practice, as was announced at halftime of that game. Jaden Blue, who probably came in with the most hype, not a great day for him. Uh, targeted four times, just one catch. It was on a screen where he was gobbled up for no gain. Do we have any sense into what this receiver room is going to look like? Because you know, a lot of people are still saying Connor Blumrick's going to be the number one guy, and they were just kind of hiding his abilities by using him in a limited fashion during the spring game. I can tell you for a fact that Connor Blumrick is a top 20 player. I don't know where he falls in that list, but that's about all the certainties I have for this wide receiver room. Caleb Smith looked really good. I think on the first touchdown, there was a little bit of a push, and on the second one, you could have called it a sack. So, you know, his his breakout game, if you will, could have potentially not happened due to a sack and a flag for offensive pass interference. But I think the thing about Caleb that's so interesting is, you know, whenever I've you know, tried to evaluate his game. He's always seemed like that possession type receiver that is really good at blocking and he's in the lineup because you know that he's reliable on the outside and that he's going to hold up with his run assignment. And what people tend to forget is that, you know, he's one of the fastest players on the team. Every time they do those GPS tracking, uh, you know, things for practice or for scrimmages or games, you know, he, he's flying. He's, he was like number two last year and he's constantly over like 22 miles per hour. So he's a fast, big athletic receiver, huge catch radius can block. He's kind of your do it all type of guy. And I think, you know, if he's going to wear so many hats and be that number one, you know, that's a little worrisome. I think you want Jaden blue to kind of be that guy that can take run down the field and, and take the top off the defense, you don't want to really burn Caleb Smith out when he can be used so situationally. With Dewan Lofton, 
I think he's continuing to emerge. I thought Jalen Jones had a really good game. He had one really nice move. So if you can bring him along and then like a guy like Dalen Wright, like he's so crucial to this operation. You need to find that number three. I was hoping we would see a bit more of Steven Gosnell. You know, I'm still intrigued to see what he's capable of, but they certainly have the pieces. I think Caleb Smith is without a doubt like a top two wide receiver in this offense. How he's going to be used is dependent on the coaching staff, but you know, I'm not expecting him to waltz into every game next year and try to take the top off of every defense. That works against Breon Murray in the spring game, but it's not going to work week in and week out. So finding a more consistent option, number three, and then hoping Jaden Blue can kind of replicate that 1,000-yard season that he had, uh, I think then you're starting to work with something there. But, you know, I really didn't get too many answers from this wide receiver group. Yeah, Smith is good day. Solid player. He's the guy we know the most about based on his experience. But, you know, I guess the issue is that he's he's one of the top two receivers. That's that's why Virginia Tech is a has been a 500 level football team. Smith is a guy you want. You want to be the number three wide receiver. That that, that kind of complimentary target Virginia Tech needs to find a high level number one and number two guy. Um a Cam Phillips level guy, an Isaiah Ford level guy. Um, they, it's just not there right now. Lofton certainly has the potential, I think, to get there. Um, I mean, if you, I mean, the Fuente coaching staff was clearly very impressed with him. He didn't get the reps or the, the production there based on the hype, but they were clearly very excited about his potential and all he's done. The spring is go out and win the offensive MVP award. I think you have to be very, very encouraged about the progress that he's, he's clearly making. And like, if he can jump Caleb Smith in terms of the wide receiver hierarchy, uh, you know, I think you're feeling confident about that. Jaden Blue, we just don't know. Certainly didn't get a, enough of a look in this offense during the spring game. And whether he's 2019 Jaden Blue at this point is is completely unknown so you know wide receivers going to be that question mark all the way through into september if, if lawson smith jones blue gosnell uh, blomrick those guys are are enough have enough explosive plays in them you know i think lofton's getting there for me in terms of like how comfortable you are with with a, with the wide receivers um Smith, I'm fine playing Smith a lot, but you're still question marks all over in terms of just what the ceiling is and what this, and that's, that's the story of, of, at a lot of positions is you've got a lot of decent, pretty good players like Caleb Smith and Jalen Holston are, are essentially the same kind of ceiling type players as, you know, pretty good veterans. You know what you expect. They will will make some nice plays, but they're not going to be that, that dominant game plan around stopping me kind of playmaker at the skill positions. And, and that's, that's the problem. And that, that just might be what it is this year as tech tries to develop them as it relates to the spring game though. I don't know what you can realistically quarterbacks had to make decisions that weren't to throw to the open guys based on the fact that they had zero time. I mean, like Jalen Jones, that I think it was the first throw of the game. It was on the first drive. Like Jalen Jones is wide open over the middle for like a 60 yard touchdown pass. If Grant Wells doesn't have somebody in his face immediately, because, you know, I think it was Jack Hollyfield 
didn't make the block. So like, you know, getting a read on the wide receivers from that, just based on the fact that like the play was blown up immediately. A lot of the times it's tough. Yeah, indeed. And to echo your point about Caleb Smith, I think that if Caleb Smith is wide receiver number two or three on this team with decent production, that probably is a very good thing for Virginia Tech. If Caleb Smith is wide receiver number one on this team, I have a very hard time imagining that things are going well. Kind of exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I'll ask you guys this then. In terms of, say, wide receivers and tight ends, right? Is there someone who will end the season as a top four receiver for Virginia Tech? Take that as you will in terms of yardage, in terms of touchdowns, whatever. That's not currently on the roster today. I'm going to say no. You're talking about adding a transfer. Yep. They're not, they're not going to add a transfer tight end. It doesn't seem like, uh, Gallo and Delise. I'm never going to be able to say his name. <laughs> they seem pretty solid. Fred Price said himself he's looking at wide receivers. So is there somebody that tech can land and just park them at the top of the depth chart immediately ahead of Smith and Lofton? Um, I think those two are probably the, the, the top guys and Jaden Blues, certainly a favorite to get in the mix. I find that. Unlikely that there's that there's going to be an addition there. It, I mean, if there's a guy that that's a top two wide receiver in the ACC, like literally every program in the country is going to want that guy. Um, so I, I find it hard that Tech would be able to to land that level of player at this point. I also think that if they're if they're hitting the transfer portal following the spring, they're probably looking at offensive line, defensive back making those the priority because you look at the wide receiver room, you have a bunch of scholarships there. You have a bunch of athleticism, talent. It's about putting it all together, piecing it together and making it a consistent commodity for the wide receiver room. Whereas you look at the offensive line, you have a lot of walk-ons guys that have maybe were recruited out of high school for different positions and, you know, had to add a ton of weight. So I, I think they're pretty set in their ways in terms of who's in the wide receiver room. Tight end seems like, you know, put a bow on it. It seems like they have everything they need from that position group, the way they're talking about things. But again, it's just about can you get these guys up to speed enough? Doug was talking about it. You have guys that could be streaking 60 yards and, you know, that's a, you know, that's the big play example. But if they're wide open, it's about, how do we get our quarterbacks on the same page with them? How do we make this a more consistent thing, not just from the wide receivers that are running these routes and finding themselves open, but making our offense adapt to that and making sure that we hit that guy every time that he's open. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. And I think right now they have the pieces to do it, to, to have a solid wide receiver room. Wrapping up wide receivers, I just want to say, I think, I think that we're still sleeping on Dallin, right? Mate mentioned him. Um, if you go back and watch the the game broadcasts or the ACC network broadcasts with Roth, he he's he specifically says like the one guy that if you ask the coaching staff keeps popping up, it's it's Dallin, right? And he's a guy that's 
I think he had a a really good spring without much fanfare and like you know he's a if he gets into the mix as like a complimentary role player he's a I think this is actually his third year um, despite being redshirt freshman like that's that's solid development so he's a guy that I think you look for in August to see where he is and and if he's getting into the mix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So as we look at this offense, from what we saw in spring game, I know we didn't anticipate seeing much, but was there anything that surprised you about just the plays that were run, the formations? You know, Was it generally what you expected it to be? Yeah, basically. I guess I wanted to expect a little more of a running game emphasis. 45 passes, 43 passes from the quarterbacks. And, you know, I'm trying to do the math on just the running backs right now, but that's like 11 on Maroon and even less from the white team. Like, felt like the running game needed to be a little more of an emphasis, but maybe they just, I mean, if the, if the quarterbacks didn't have any time to throw the ball, the running backs weren't going to have any any lanes to run through. So I thought that was interesting. But other than that, they did pretty much exclusively play from the shotgun, um, which a lot of three three wideouts, one tight end, a, a little bit of one running back, four wide receiver look. But, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary. I just thought, like, particularly with how crowded that room is, like, I, I guess... I guess maybe the decisions are made by this point. Like everybody knows kind of where they are. So like you're not, I guess maybe there was no real movement to be had, but like there's, there's eight, nine guys in that room and none none of them got really an extended chance to to make a guy miss. Um, So that was, that was, I guess the only surprise, but then, then you can always, throw a layer of like the offensive line situation just made running the football like not even a not even, not even a remote possibility there. Also it sounded like the game wasn't necessarily scripted in terms of plays, that they were actually calling it live. And I think anyone could tell you, you know, when your best option is still probably throwing the football when you have, you know, two seconds your guys can't really run behind the offensive line and it definitely looked like that. I think, you know, as much as we, or at least I'll speak for myself and say that I was hopeful that we would get a couple more conclusions on the quarterback battle. I think, you know, I wanted to see which guys would remain out of the running back room. And I was surprised not to see them, as Doug mentioned, like get a bigger leash, so to speak. But through how they did the game plan and with the, with the first two quarters and then kind of how they did it in the second half, you could kind of see the pecking order. You could kind of read into how they were going to use the running backs. And I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know there. Of who's impressed them? Who's going to be part of, you know, that three-man rotation or 
guys on the kick return. And I think we'll see some of those other guys that played a majority of the second half enter the transfer portals. But in terms of formations and everything, it was pretty bland. It didn't look too different in terms of like, I think an expectation from the fan base was going from Fuente to Pry. We would see like a total 180 in terms of offensive philosophy. And that kind of wasn't the case. It was just kind of the same formations, simple plays, nothing too crazy. So I wouldn't make any determinations there of what Virginia Tech will look like on offense heading into next fall. Nick Gallo still didn't get the receptions in the flats. Really love the tight end in the flats. Indeed, indeed. Our defensive side of the ball, anything stick out? I mean, I was so cued in on the offense as I was watching the game that it was kind of hard to see who was in that mix. But did anything stick out to you guys in particular? Defense was even harder to figure out, I thought. Like, I mean, there was a couple plays like Jamari Connor overran that, especially that Lofton. Um, Lofton early had a big reception. Jalen Jones made him miss in open space, you know, but like, I don't know that a spring game really locks in Shamari Connor at this point in his career. I think, I think you started to see kind of the safety battles get short up. Connor, Peoples, Hawkins, and Stroman seem pretty comfortable as the top four there. Um, I thought that the interesting comment after the game was Fugo was the was he defensive MVP or most improved? One of those. And they said Penne was, if, if not for Fuga, it would have been him. Um, and I think that's notable given what Virginia Tech needs in terms of defensive tackle depth. You know, Pollard's probably a starter there, but he was playing next to like Braylon Moore for some of it. Um, so it's really hard, hard to figure out what was going on there. But I think if, if Kendricks comes back with Fuga, Pollard, and, Penne, maybe that's your top four defensive tackles going into the going into the season. But other than that, like there's just it's just a, there's a lot of guys running in. You know, David Keller, Tyler Messini got a bunch of time. Um, Murray, Chapman, Strong, Harvey, like it's they played so many guys that it's just like hard to like figure it all out. <laughs> I want to say that the the ACC network did a pretty good job. Like overall, they did a great job of covering the spring game. But the one takeaway from the defense, at least, is every time they put up a chart that said the guys that were leaving, it included like three people that were still on the team. So I don't know who gave them the research, but I mean, it was brutal. They said Tyler Matheny left. Uh, there, they said Caleb Smith left on offense. I think there was someone else from defensive back, but. You know, I didn't have too many takeaways. I wish I looked at the linebackers a bit more. I think they feel pretty good about the defensive line. I, I don't think Cole Nelson played, which is kind of a shame because he was kind of, I think the two highlighted players that I said in last week's podcast did nothing in this game. So that's kind of a shame. But I would say, you know, a bigger takeaway for me, I was kind of looking at the defensive line, the secondary. It looks like DJ Harvey's going to have a role, which I think is really big for this team. It looked like he was on kick return, I believe, and he was playing pretty well. Uh, he was out there quite a bit. So he's kind of your guy at nickel, you know, battling at nickel. I think that's a good spot for him. But um, overall, I didn't have too many takeaways from the defensive side. And it's hard to praise the defensive line and say they look solidified when, you know, again, this entire podcast we've been talking about the offensive line struggles. So I wouldn't take like too much away from there. 
two players I noticed late. Gunnar Givens, I don't know if it was uh who he was standing next to, but he looked he looked massive on the field. Like notably like who is that tall guy? And then it's Gunnar Givens. Um and then Kelly Lawson at the new um Sam linebacker spot comes in. Sort of felt like his main skill right now is just chase the quarterback. Um so I think he's got a long ways to go in terms of learning the position and learning just defense. Um, but you know, he was a, he's got that length and that, that athleticism that, um, that you, you notice on the field when, when he's at least chasing the quarterback. Hey, chase the quarterback. Say, uh, it's a good start. <laughs> Anything else guys before we check out? I know, uh, he anticipated potentially having three, four spring game recap podcasts just, because of the gravity of the whole situation, but I think we've done a good job summing up in one. Yeah, I want to hear about the pizza eating competition. Oh my god! <laughs> so <laughs> the pizza eating competition. <laughs> Rewind a little bit here. Paul Van Wagner, my boss at ESPN Blacksburg, comes up to me and says, "Guess what? You have to wake up at eight o'clock on Saturday morning and do a live broadcast from Benny's because they're having a pizza eating competition." Which, <laughs> frankly, initially, I was like, what the hell, why the hell would I do that? But, or after essentially doing a two-hour live infomercial for Benny's, I got very excited about the idea that the world record for pizza consumption was going to be set that Saturday afternoon in Blacksburg, Virginia. And <laughs> the event itself did not disappoint as the greatest eaters, the greatest gorgers of food on earth, Came down to Blacksburg, and they got it done. The winner ate his first slice in 30 seconds. Was done with a full pie in five minutes. And ultimately got one slice away from eating a second pie. It was... In 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. It was one of the craziest things (laughs) I have ever witnessed with my own two eyes. Just pure athleticism. Frankly, to eat that much pizza in such a short period of time requires, obviously, like the stomach capacity, the jaw strength. You got to think about the crust. You're bringing down the crust every time. But really, in a word, I, I think Justin Puente would put it best. I think it comes down to grit because ultimately, after the second slice of pizza, your body's shutting down. Your body's telling you, <laughs> no, we're not doing this anymore. There's no reason for this. How many calories do you guys think in a slice of pizza? Like 400? <laughs> Way more than that. I would say like a thousand with all the grease and everything. In a single slice of Benny's pizza? All in right, a well, single the, slice. So multiply that by 12 and a half, and that's what you have in 10 so, minutes. Was anybody dunking them in like water? Or the winner. Was it? At the end, yeah. I mean, it was totally disgusting. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> but how did the tech graduate do? Uh, I think he came in fourth. Uh, he yet. hadn't competed in a long time. Interestingly enough, I didn't know Benny's only came to Blacksburg in 2011. Benny's isn't that old. I thought I would have thought Benny's had been there for 25 years no, prior they, to 2011. They were. Maybe when you go to college, 2012. Uh, 2011, I started, but I think they. No, they were there. Apparently they were definitely they o- there. Apparently, they but, opened up in September of 2011. So yeah, right took, when you got there, they took over the spot that used to sell pokey sticks gumbies or something over um over by 
what's the funky apartment complex that goes viral on Twitter when everybody's for the indoor uh, balconies? Five math tempo something like no, I forget what it's called. <laughs> it's the interior hallway with balconies on it. I know what you're talking about. I actually had never seen that with my own two eyes. Oh, like in person. Wow. <laughs> it deserves balconies and Benny's, man. <laughs> yeah, regardless, it was just super crazy. And I got a here. I'm wearing a sweatshirt now. This is a podcast, so no one's going to see it, but. Got a shirt. Wow. See right here? It says, uh, Benny's Invitational 2022. They say it's going to be the Kentucky Derby of eating competitions. They're going to make it a yearly thing. So if you missed it the first time, don't fret. They should be returning soon. So shout out to the good people at Benny's. Do you know uh, how much the registration fee is? I'm not or, sure. Did you have to pay to enter? Well, most of the guys were. Like actual professionals that tour the country and it might not be their true full time job, but though the prize money wasn't crazy, a lot of these people have like the first for inaugural event. I mean it'll it'll grow. Yeah. I mean these these are people that you'll see on July fourth in the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Some of them. Like the the tech guy, one of them. The guy who won, I think he came in second or third in the hot dog eating contest last year. Yep, very strange thing, but it was uh cool to be a part of it. So yeah. Quite frankly, that was more entertaining than the spring game. Are you going to put that on your resume? Host sure. of, host of the, the 2022 Benny's Invitational? Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have a girlfriend, I'd say it's the first thing I'm going to say on first dates. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much all I got. Anything else from you guys? Any last messages to the people? Shout out to all the alumni that came through. I thought that was pretty cool. It seemed like that was something that had been missing from any Virginia Tech sporting event in recent memory, just bringing everyone back. Um, I would love to have Evan here to give some of the recruiting updates because he shared a bunch with me and they're pretty exciting. Um, just how impressed everyone was, you know, wow. you're getting tease. a little tease. Maybe next week we can go into recruiting, but definitely uh, very impressed with how everything was held up and, uh, I think the most impressive thing from just everything that I was told was just how involved the alumni were in trying to sell Virginia Tech to the next generation of recruits. I think that goes a long way. You know, you obviously have Bruce Smith, who has so many ties, but then, you know, Wyatt Teller, who's on, you know, making millions of dollars in the NFL, one of the top interior guards, selling the vision of Virginia Tech for a coach he didn't even play for. I mean, that's pretty cool. So... Just seeing everyone come together, the way they were able to share that, whether it was on social media uh, or just in smaller circles with recruits, I thought was pretty phenomenal. So, you know, the spectacle of the spring game, I think it's what most people expected. But in terms of the things that surrounded the spring game, I think it has been highly elevated from what it was before. I guess last piece of news I have, breaking news won't be as breaking by the time this podcast is released tomorrow morning, Keehan Clark returns to UVA. Oh, my God. final year of eligibility. Still? He's like, who's that guy on uh, Kansas? Perry Ellis. Perry, he's the next-gen Perry Ellis. And Baycott's coming back. This Aluma, come on. I just want to see. Arch Manning might go there. I mean, UVA on the rise. <laughs> 
I just want to see Baycott's NIL check. Yeah, he votes. It's got to be. It's got to be. Speaking of multi-million. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be. Millions of dollars. <laughs> if not millions of dollars in the multiple six-figure category. Because, yeah, people don't generally give up the opportunity to probably get drafted regardless of how good their chances to really make an impact in the NBA are. But Armando Baycott, probably going to make more money here, or not here, but at UNC, than he would riding the bus in the G League, presumably. So good for him. He's probably already made more money than he will in the G League. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, guys. The VT Scoop content machine is just going to keep churning all off-season long. It is the gift that keeps on giving. And if you get your VIP membership, it will give you even more. So everyone should do that. I'm Andrew Alex. Matei says Doug Bowman. We'll be back next week or the week after. Again, Matei alluding to this big recruiting news. I guess we'll have to discuss it. So we'll get Evan Watkins back on this at some point. Until then, go Hokies. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.